Church family, I hope you're encouraged this morning as you see eight new members join your church fellowship. Um, like I, I had nothing to do with that, but I find myself encouraged as I come and praying that, oh man, I hope I don't screw it up. <laughs> the other thing I'd like to say, I count it a privilege to be working with a group of men who are providing oversight for this church, who will study God's word on Tuesday night and allow that to impact their prayers on Sunday morning worship service. Isn't that encouraging? And I trust that as we turn to God's word now, that that example would be an example that we would adopt. So turn with me, please, to Joshua chapter 1. We want to study this portion of scripture again this morning. Last March, you invited Cynthia and I to come and candidate to become your next lead teaching elder or pastor. The following weekend, you voted in favor of extending the invitation, and Cynthia and I accepted that invitation. Over the next few months, we submitted resignations, wrapped up our lives in South Florida, made arrangements with Dan and Mary to buy their home, packed and shipped our things with big movers, and then finally made our way north to Woodstock, Ontario. I have to admit that Cynthia and I are delighted and thrilled to be done unpacking and are beginning to settle into our new life amongst you. But folks, the transition is not over. It's not complete. The physical transition may be complete, but this season of transition continues. It just takes on a different phase or a different stage. We are now entering a different stage of that transition from one pastoral couple to another, from Adam and Angie to George and Cynthia. It's like, think of marriage. Here's the courtship, then there's the engagement, the ceremony, the honeymoon, and then they return home and move in together. Does that mark the end of the transition from single life to life as a couple? I think not. In fact, moving in together is often the beginning of a very significant time of transition. Honey, that's not the way you hang the toilet paper roll. (laughs) Could you please stop squeezing the toothpaste tube in the middle? And then finally, of course, wait a minute. Allow me to show you how to load that dishwasher. (laughs) If anything, the transition from being a single person to living as a couple, intensifies once we move in together. So although Cynthia and I are now here in your midst, the transition continues for both you and for us. And for that reason, I want us to turn back to Joshua chapter 1. And this morning's message is titled, Following God Through a Time of Transition, Part Previously, we studied the first nine verses 
of Joshua chapter 1. And in part 1, we saw that Joshua chapter 1 begins where Deuteronomy chapter 34 ends. The nation of Israel is once again standing at the border of the promised land. That land God had promised would one day be theirs. And once again, because the nation of Israel had been here before, standing at the border of the land God had promised them. And on that occasion, the Israelites saw the obstacles as being insurmountable. In fact, they refused to trust God, the Lord their God, and enter the land that he had promised would one day be theirs. And as a result, the Lord announced his judgment. And the Israelites were forced back to wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years until that entire generation had died. And so here we are again. Forty years later, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb are the only three survivors from that previous generation. They're once again standing with the next generation of Israelites at the border border of the promised land. But then Moses dies. The only national leader this new generation of Israelites had ever known. Dead. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Needless to say, the death of Moses ushered the nation of Israel into a significant time of transition. And it was during this time that the Lord their God took the initiative to define reality for them. And he defines that reality in two significant ways. Number one, an unaltered mission. And number two, an undeniable mandate. Do you remember? An unaltered mission was found in verses 1 to 5. And it's rooted in the enduring promises, plans, and purposes of God. You know, we saw that leaders and circumstances may change. But God's mission never changes. That's the reality that you and I can stake our lives on. The unaltering mission of God. Secondly, the undeniable mandate found in verses 6 through 9 was to be strong and courageous. Times of transition always require strength and courage. But the strength and courage that God was unveiling here is a special kind of strength and courage because it's rooted or established in three specific things. Notice, a clear understanding of God's promises, a careful obedience to his word, and a continuing awareness of his inescapable presence. And that brings us to the passage that we want to focus on this morning. Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through to the end of the chapter. And here we're going to discover that there are 
a couple of requirements or prerequisites. We'll be better prepared, you and I will be better prepared to follow God's lead through a time of transition by fulfilling the requirements or the prerequisites exhibited here in Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Make no mistake about it. God wants to lead us through times of transition. Not just times of pastoral transition, but the transitions you and I face on a continual basis. God wants to lead us. And we can see that here in Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. But even more importantly, we can identify the prerequisites or requirements that will help to prepare us to follow his lead. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege and freedom that we have to read and study your written word, a revelation of your person, your plans, and your purposes. Thank you that it is active and alive, that it cuts us like a two-edged sword, addressing the intentions and thoughts of our hearts. And it has transformative power so that we, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, can begin to act and react, to think and behave like Jesus. May that be our experience this morning. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. The first prerequisite for following God's lead through a time of transition is found in verses 10 through 15. Notice beginning at verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, to possess it. To the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But you shall cross over before your brothers in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Following God's lead through a time of transition, requires God-ordained leaders to lead. Joshua was a God-ordained leader. That's been established, right? Between When we looked at verses 1 to 9. Look back at verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, to the sons of Israel. 
the Lord's commissioning of Joshua as Moses' replacement identified him as a God-ordained leader. But folks, it's not enough to be God-ordained. Leaders must lead. Following God's lead through a time of transition requires God-ordained leadership to lead. And look at verse 10 again. Then, that's following Joshua's commissioning, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. So Joshua led by commanding the officers of the people to command the people. Now it seems to me like there's there's an awful lot of commanding going on here. Notice verse 9. Have I not commanded you? So, so the Lord is commanding Joshua. And Joshua turns around and commands the officers of the people. And then the officers of the people were to command the people, according to verse 11. Let's be clear here. Leadership can and should involve delegation. Effective leaders know how to recruit and train and equip and empower others to fulfill the tasks and responsibilities so that we can accomplish things together. Delegation is not about using people, but it's about equipping, empowering, and unleashing them. Effective leaders delegate. Verse 11, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you are to cross this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. The command that the officers were to command the people was both communicated what the people were to do and why they were to do it. What were they to do? They were to prepare provisions for yourselves. Let me just say that sometimes there are shared responsibilities. For example, we talked about the elders here at the Rock. And as we turn in the New Testament, we see that local churches are to be led by a plurality of leaders. A group of qualified elders are to share in that responsibility. But at other times, there are responsibilities that are yours and yours alone. Others should not assume those responsibilities on your behalf. You need to fulfill them. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 for just a moment. Beginning at verse 1. Galatians chapter... Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now drop down to verse 5. 
for each of you will bear his own load. So which is it? Are we to bear one another's burdens? Or is each one to bear his own load? The answer is both and. There are responsibilities that you are to bear alone. And there are responsibilities that we are to bear together. Here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, each individual was to prepare provisions for themselves. Effective leadership will clearly communicate what we are to do and why we are to do it. Joshua led by commanding the officers of the people to command the people. Leadership can and should involve delegation, and the command of the officers to the people communicated what they were to do and why they were to do it. Look now at verse 12. The Reubenites and the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. So Joshua led by reminding the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to fulfill their obligation. And Joshua's reminder was pointing back to an event that is recorded in Numbers chapter 32. Let's turn there for a moment. Beginning at verse 1 of Numbers chapter 32. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elielah, Sebam, Nebo, and Beon, the land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, If we have found favor in your sight, Let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take it across the Jordan. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? Moses is not happy with this request. In fact, he's having flashbacks and seeing this as a repeat performance of what happened the last time they were standing on the border of the Promised Land. He's thinking that these two and a half tribes are going to discourage Israel, and they will refuse to go in and conquer the land again. Drop down to verse 16. Then they came near to him, that's the tribes coming near to Moses again, and said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place 
while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. For we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan toward the east. So Moses said to them, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel, and this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. As you can see, Joshua's reminder was a clear and concise summary of the event recorded here in Numbers chapter 32. And Numbers 32 takes an entire chapter to describe the event. Joshua summarizes it in just three verses. But make no mistake about it. These two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, knew exactly what, Moses, what Joshua was referring to. Notice also that Joshua delivered this reminder himself. He did not command the officers of the people to remind these two and a half tribes. Think about that in light of what we just said about delegation. I think that we can all agree there are some things, some responsibilities that leaders ought not delegate. And so Joshua led by reminding the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to fulfill their obligation. Joshua's reminder was a concise summary of a previous agreement. And then there are some responsibilities that leaders should not or ought not to delegate. Joshua, as a God-ordained leader, led by commanding and reminding these Israelites. As I reflect, as I reflect on that, it seems to me that that is a pretty good summary of the primary responsibilities of leadership. To command and remind. To command and remind. And by commanding, I'm not for a moment suggesting a tyrannical style of leadership, top-down leadership that intimidates its followers by shouts and orders and expects unquestioned obedience or else. That's not the kind of leadership that I'm suggesting. In fact, commanding, in my thinking, can be done in a way that is thoughtful, clear, instructive, and at the same time, compelling. Cynthia often says to me, George, it's, it's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it that's the problem. Leaders command and remind. Command and remind. Command and remind. Are you ready 
Because God ordained, as God ordained leaders, you and I are called and empowered to lead those whom God has placed within our circles of influence. And you may be sitting there, wait a minute. I'm not a leader. I didn't sign up for this. But allow me to just provide a, a definition of leadership with just one word. Influence. And all of us have circles of influence. Some are bigger than others. I'll give you that. But we all have circles of influence. And we exercise that influence both consciously and unconsciously. Who are the people standing within your circle of influence? And some are standing closer than others. And proximity will determine the degree of influence. But who is standing within your circle of influence today? Children, friends, neighbors, workmates, schoolmates, brothers, sisters, parents, spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, maybe even a stranger who happens to be encountered along the way. You see, influence can be a long-term exercise or it can happen in the blink of an eye. It can happen with words or with deeds or even nonverbal communication. Hear me now. If you've come to that point in your life where you have recognized your complete inability to live life the way God intends it to be lived. If you realize that you are a sinner through and through, but have acknowledged and asked God for forgiveness based on Jesus' accomplishments at Calvary, as you place your trust in Jesus Christ alone, he has promised to send his Holy Spirit to take up resident in your life. And when that happens, we are God-ordained leaders, divinely appointed influencers. John chapter 1, verse 12 puts it this way. We become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. God ordained and empowered to be influenced for his glory in the lives of those who have entered our circle of influence. God ordained leaders. You and I are called and empowered to exercise our influence on those whom God has placed within our circle of influence. Lead like Joshua. Command and remind. Command and remind. Following God's lead through a time of transition requires God-ordained leaders to lead. And following God's lead through a time of transition requires God-ordained followers 
follow. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh exemplified what God-ordained followers who follow look like. In fact, I, I think in verses 16 to 18, we have five kind of snapshots for our consideration. Now, don't panic. We will move through these rather quickly. Notice verse 16. They answered Joshua saying, All that you have commanded us we will do, and whatever you have, wherever you send us, we will go. Wow. Did you catch that? Whatever and wherever. Can you imagine? I think that is a leader's dream team. Wherever and whatever. They verbalized their commitment to follow Joshua's lead, whatever he asked and wherever they were asked to go. Verse 17, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. What's happening here? There's a transference happening, isn't there? They're transferring that allegiance from Moses that they exhibited in the past, and they're placing it on Joshua. Moses would not be forgotten. That's not the issue here. His legacy has been established. But loyalty belongs to the living. And Joshua was the God-ordained leader that would take these Israelites into their future. The last half of verse 17. Oh, may the, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Is that not a blessing or a prayer? They were, they prayed for God's blessing on Joshua's life and leadership. Notice, may the Lord be with you. These Israelites supported Joshua in prayer. Verse 18, anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Okay, now that seems a little harsh. Don't you think? But they promised not to tolerate inappropriate opposition. Rebels would be put to death. They were committed to protecting their God-ordained leaders and thereby freeing him up to lead. And finally, only be strong and courageous. We find them here cheering Joshua on, using the very commissioning mandate that the Lord their God had used when they commissioned him. Leadership can often be demanding, draining, and even at times discouraging. Here these folks are found cheering Joshua on. As God-ordained followers, you and I are called and empowered to follow God-ordained leadership. But who are the God-ordained leaders in our lives? We all have them. In fact, just a brief survey of the scriptures uncovers a few. Let me give them. You may want to write these references down. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. God-ordained citizens, they follow human institutions, governments, and people in positions of authority. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. 
God-ordained children followed their parents. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. God-ordained wives followed the lead of their husbands. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. God-ordained members of a local church followed those serving in the positions of elder. 1 Peter 2, chapter 21. God-ordained followers of Christ, of course, follow Jesus. And this is not intended to be an exhaustive list, but what it does show are the opportunities for you and I to lead are inexhaustible. On those occasions, follow like the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Verbalize your commitment. Express your loyalty. Pray for your leaders. Protect them. And finally, cheer them on. The president of a Bible school was asked to address an incoming freshman class at the end of a long week of orientation. As he went to the podium and gathered his notes, he looked out over a bleary-eyed but still enthusiastic group of freshmen. He announced the name of an individual and invited them to make their way to the platform. The crowd, of course, went silent as people started to look around, and then a murmuring began to ripple over the audience. Who had the president acknowledged and why? After a few moments of hesitation that, of course, seemed like an eternity, a small, mousy, frail-looking young woman near the back of the room stood and began making her way to the platform. Head down, eyes glued on a spot on the floor just ahead of her feet. When she finally reached the platform, the president reached out and took her hand in his and gave her a firm handshake. And at the same time, he turned to his audience and introduced her to the rest of the freshman class with these words. Nicole, here are your leaders. Leaders, here is your follower. Of all the applicants entering their first year of Bible college that year, Nicole was the only one on the application that checked the box that she was a follower. All the rest saw themselves as leaders. Interesting. In reality, life will present you and I with all kinds of opportunities to be both and rather than either or. Sometimes you'll be called and empowered to provide leadership. At other times, you'll be called and empowered to follow the leadership of others. At the appropriate time, let's agree to lead like Joshua and follow like these two and a half tribes of Israel. When we do that, 
we'll find that we're better prepared to follow God's lead through these sometimes difficult times of transition. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thrilled that you engage us, that you speak to us through this written word, and that your spirit helps it to resonate with our spirits so that we begin to cooperate with your enablement in wanting to transform our lives from the inside out. And we pray that that would be taking place in our lives, not just today, but throughout this week and the weeks and the months and the years ahead as we continue to expose ourselves to this written word. And as we do that, I pray that we would find ourselves sharpening one another, encouraging one another, cheering one another on as we look to become more and more like Jesus, again, as you enable us by your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.